0: In the first four chapters of Acts, we see the beauty of the church. Walls are being torn down between the rich, the poor, Gentiles and Jews, men, women, you name it. I mean, aside from the power structures that are trying to shut it down from the outside, it sounds like a pretty ideal community, right? Well, today, we're gonna be looking at this corruption that starts to seep into the church in a pretty crazy way. If you remember last week, we talked about the standout feature of the church. People without coercion generously gave their resources to the people who were in need. They didn't just share with people who looked like them and sounded like them, they shared with people who came from different walks of life. I mean, I guess you could say that they were acting as if they were one big family and they sacrificed for one another. And then as a result, no one had any needs. Now, I think the best part of this is that every single person in the church knew that they were never on their own. No matter what happened, their community had their backs. They were experiencing heaven together. But in the very next chapter of Acts, we see trouble brewing in the community. And if you don't pick up on the small hints and nudges from the author of the story, you might miss what's actually at stake. So let's begin from the top of Acts chapter 5. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With the wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So here are three bits of info that we need to highlight about this story about Ananias and Sapphira. First, Luke points out that these guys were married. Now this bit of info is very important, it's crucial. Because the New Testament, I don't know if you noticed, they purposely do not notify the audience of the character's marital status unless it's absolutely necessary to the story. And if you think about it, there aren't that many married couples represented in the New Testament, and that's by design. Because in the world outside the church, being married was a status indicator. For example, in the Old Testament, married people were favored above unmarried or widowed people, almost to a point where... In some circles, unmarried people were considered to be cursed by God. But Jesus changed all that. We learned that all people are equal in the eyes of God. God loves everybody equally. Being married meant that they were considered blessed. So if you're the type to keep score, they would have a step above every single person in the church. Now, the second bit of information is the fact that these guys were crazy rich. We know this because they own multiple properties. And if people are rich, they are treated differently. For example, in today's world, when you get indications of how rich a family is, we subconsciously or consciously, we start to assess how much respect we owe that person. If you're rich, then we tend to see you differently than someone who is from a poorer area of town. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus declared that the rich and poor are to be seen as equals. And the final bit of detail that we have to point out here is that they withheld a part of their earnings, which is totally fine. But there are two things that Luke wants us to notice here. First is the fact that there's no need for them to announce how much they made off their property. But Ananias and Sapphira, well, they felt the need to inform the worth of their property. Secondly, it was totally fine for them to be honest and say that they're keeping a portion for themselves. They're totally allowed to do that. However, when they brought that portion to the apostles, They felt the need to lie and say that they gave all their proceeds. Being rich meant that you were blessed by God, at least in the world outside the church, which was another added point to their scorecard. And on top of that, they wanted everybody to believe that they were the most generous people in the community. So in the opening verses of this story, we learned that Anas and Sophia are rich, they're married, they needlessly announced that they are giving their entire proceeds of the property they just sold, and they lied that they were withholding a portion of it. I mean, they could have easily said, hey, uh, we just sold our property and decided to hold a portion of it, but we wanna give the rest away to the poor. They could have totally said that. Or they could have just said nothing and given the portion of the proceeds to the needy. So why did they feel the need to lie about it and announce it? Ananias and Sapphira are trying to work their way up the ladder in the first church. But here's the thing. There is no ladder in the church. It's not like the more you give away, the more important you are to the community. Everyone is equal. You See, the big crime that's happening here is that marriage was never meant to be used to give someone an upper hand. Riches was never meant to make you feel more important than other people. And the acts of service was never meant to help someone into a place of power. But all the organizations around them, like the temple at the time, they had a hierarchy in place. The Romans had a ranking system. The Jewish society at the time required you to behave a certain way to increase your social status. But the church was not supposed to be like that. They were supposed to be different. They were set apart. See, in the world, riches, marital status, service, generosity, they create social hierarchies and social divisions. But in the church, these things were meant to be used to love one another. This is why it's important for the members of the church today, especially the church leaders, to make sure we don't allow hierarchies to form. Pastors are not above anybody in the church, and the people who give more are not given special treatment. To give preference to one group of people often means that the people who are not given that same respect are often oppressed. So Ananias and Sapphira are bringing into the church elements that often lead to oppression, but the systems implemented in the first century church strips away the power of riches and social status because the church's allegiance is to christ and not power you see because if everybody is sharing the resources with one another there's no place for power because everybody lacks nothing and the apostles are charged with the task of protecting that culture so can you see how uh, a community where social divisions are designed to disappear is a threat to those who want to have power over that community ananias and sapphira are frustrated that they can't sit at the top tier of this first church so They devised a genius plan, and I do mean genius. They wanted power in the newfound community, but they quickly realized that they have no way of gaining power if they anonymously give it to those in need. So they felt the need to announce how much they gave, and at the same time lie about withholding some money so they can still have the appearance of being most rich and generous at the same time. I mean, like, wow, that is a well thought out scheme. But Peter, one of the apostles, Figured it out right away. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not just lied to human beings, but to God. Now, as you can tell, for Peter, it's not about the money. Nowhere in this passage do we even see the slightest shred of greed on the part of the apostles. What bugs Peter is the deception of it all. You, Ananias and Sapphira, are trying to rise to the top of the church ladder by lying. Well first, there is no hierarchy in the church, but you're doing everything you can to create a ladder system. And you're doing this by pretending to be better than everyone else. I mean, in this new kind of community, it's about each of us doing our part whenever we are able to to contribute to the common good. And sometimes you don't have anything to give. Sometimes you don't have any money, any resources, any time, any hope. And in those moments, you need others. You need to know that you are not on your own. And the selfishness that is demonstrated by Ananias and Sapphira can quickly kill a community of generosity. Then something absolutely tragic and weird happens in this story. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then, some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. Now, some of you might be wondering, did God just strike down Ananias? Well, we'll talk more about that after the following verses. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she answered, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen." The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So, it happened again. Now, notice that God is not blamed for these accounts. But the implication there is that it was actually God who struck her down. And what's even more interesting is that Luke doesn't feel like he needs to justify for what just happened. And Luke kind of moves on with the story. This is the author's way of saying, look, we can have a discussion about this, but if we do, we'll miss out on the main point of this story. So the point of this story is this. Jesus' death and resurrection led to the birth of a community of people who gave themselves to the well-being of one another doing whatever they needed to do to make sure everyone had their needs met. They were all aware of God's presence all around them in their midst, and they were all convinced that a better world really is possible right here, right now, if we all do our part. God had a vision for humanity since the beginning of time, and for the first time, we have a community that represented it perfectly. So this community was sacred, but there was a couple of people who came in and started to taint it for their own self-gain. Now, I wanna conclude by reading how the communities around this church reacted to this special kind of community. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. And this makes sense because people of power are not people of power in the church. And if they try to make the church into an organization with levels of power, they might end up like Ananias and Sapphira. So they were like, join the church, Yeah, that's a hard pass for me, no thank you. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. If you have a church that emphasizes caring for the least of society, you'll end up with a gathering of sick, poor, outcasts, widows, orphans, and aliens. And so their membership was growing day by day. The implication here is that their members were mostly outcasts. But the question is, well, outcasts means that somebody outcasted them, right? So who outcasted them? Well. They were outcasted by the temple in Jerusalem. That's why the next line is the best part. Then the high priests, those are the people who work in the temple, and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, which are the religious elite of the day, were filled with jealousy. See, these guys, they were jealous because big numbers in the religious organization meant more power. The kicker here is that the church numbers were increasing, but the church didn't care about those numbers because it didn't feed their egos. They didn't care about having power in society. All they cared about was that the needs of these people were being met. And another interesting thing here is that the reason why the church was adding so many to their community is because the temple outcasted so many people to begin with. So what can we learn from all this? Well, I learned that churches our church included, has a tendency of creating power structures. Like for example, we celebrate married couples, but what does that say about people who are not married? I mean, when was the last time that we affirmed and celebrated people who chose to be single? Or do we treat ministry leaders and board members above the people who are not in those roles? These are questions that I had to ask myself, but I also wanna turn it over to you. Have you treated people who are richer in the church better than people who are poorer? Have you treated people who are married differently than people who aren't? You see, in order for us to create and maintain a culture where we all could confidently say, yes, the church has my back, is to make sure that we're not creating favoritism in the church. And we all have to play our part in making sure that heaven continues to spread inside the church and outside of it. So church, may you know that you are not alone, that the members of your church has your back. And may you rest in knowing that we are all equal in the church as God intended. And may you experience heaven together. God bless.